Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. A little bit embarrassed to have five seasons of Star Trek podcast now, Ben. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Ben Harrison. Adam, uh, the holidays have come and gone, but uh, I was away for the holidays uh, a lot longer than anticipated because I was in California and fell terribly ill. So I uh, I came home and there was a huge box at my apartment that our house sitter had brought in. And uh, it's got tape on the outside. You're going to want to open that mattress in your bedroom, Ben. It's, it's from Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf provider for Major League Soccer, uh, NCAA, and a couple of other sporting organizations, it looks like. Uh, this was sent by uh, Ira to me, and it is Whoa. it is a huge box. I don't know if you can see this on the webcam or not. I can. Um, You're not supposed to send money through the mail, Ira. This is a yeah, yeah, exactly. Currency is uh, best left transferred digitally, but uh, I've decided with your fingers. Let's, let's, let's rip into this thing. See what we got. Was this sent to your bar? Holy shit. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Adam. Would you look at that? This is... Would you look at that? Unbelievable. Whoa. What is it? Ira has sent us a huge box full of custom-made Greatest Generation Shimoda Stacking Isolinear Chips scarves. <laughs> oh my god. These are incredible. I don't believe this. Oh man, what a cool surprise. I had no I, I was like it I feel like this scarf stuff might be a canard to throw us off the scent <laughs> on the outside. It's literally scarves in here and there's there's tons of them. There must be a hundred. It scarves all the way down? It scarves all the way down. Look at how many scarves at him. Oh my god. Wow. I could this bury like- myself in scarves. This is like a scene from Indecent Proposal. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Uh, you were just rotten with scarves right now. Yeah. Our, our cup runneth over with scarves. I feel like uh, I'm going to wear one of these for the, for the episode today. <laughs> that last scarf you pulled out was like totally wizard sleeve-like. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, this, is a, this is an amazing gift. I feel like... We gotta come up with something cool to do with these. We gotta come up with something cool to do for Ira. Ira, come here. You are the man. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, thanks, Ira. That was that was really nice, man. A kingly gift. What are we gonna do with all those scarves, Ben? I feel like they're uh, they're a great prize for people to come to our live shows. Could uh, give give a scarf away to one lucky winner at every live show. Yeah, um, it's it's live show encouragement. That's for sure. Live show encouragement. Uh, I feel like we could, uh, uh, you know, we could have some kind of some kind of uh, trivia game or something at Greatest Gen Con 2017, and uh, the prize pack could include a scarf. You know, true. we announced the winner of our uh, of our contest on the last episode, and uh, at this point, we haven't yet sent out the prize pack, but we could. We could toss one of these in there as as a little added bonus. Yeah, Crystal gets a scarf. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ira. That was that was a real a real unexpected treat. Adam, what do you say we get into the episode that we came here to talk about today? Man, this scarf is really warm. Yeah, let's let's hit it. It's season five, Ben, episode one, Redemption. Part two. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. We start with a pretty awesome space combat scene between a bunch of indistinguishable click-on ships. Uh, it's, uh, it's two birds of prey attacking 
another bird of prey, and uh, the one that's getting its ass whooped is captained by one Kern, little brother of Worf, and Worf is serving as the tactical officer, and uh, he is in his his like Klingon uniform. He is fully converted to the Klingon way of life, and um, and uh, his uh, his tight bob has gotten a little looser. Yeah, and they're in like a pretty desperate situation, right? Like I think that. A lot of the time in these in these fight scenes, uh, Worf comes up with some cool tactical maneuver that the Klingons are like, "What?" Uh, you know, he has like different ideas about tactics than your average Klingon. But in this one, it's sort of the opposite. Like the shoe is on the other foot. They're like really desperately getting their ass whooped, and Worf is like, "We gotta, we gotta retreat." And Kern comes up with a pretty brilliant way of like kicking up solar flares uh just at the last minute as they as they head into this star and kicking up solar flares in their wake to take out the other two klingon ships they narrowly achieve victory it's a little like a fast and furious strategy where <laughs> like they off-road the klingon ship a little bit into the gravel by the side of the road yeah and then they're like kicking gravel at the other <laughs> ships to destroy them yeah how did the klingon ships know what side other Klingon ships are on without being fired on or not fired on, right? It's got to be really hard to tell. It's got to be hard to tell. And I mean, to my knowledge, Klingon ships don't have their names on them the way Federation ships do, right? Yeah, you never the, see uh, the exterior scene of, of, the, of the USS Pach <laughs> yeah, it, on its engine nacelles. The camera never lovingly pans over the, the name of the yeah. ship. <laughs> um yeah, and it's also because there's too much poopy on the outside. Yeah, and and you know that the the uh, the TOS crew had to paint a name on on the bird of prey that they stole. So so uh, yeah, maybe the Klingons don't put the name on the outside. I mean, maybe that's part of their of their game is like is like you know don't don't let them know who you are until you're shooting at them. <laughs> At least for this scene, it's pretty clear which which ships are the baddies and which ones the goodies, and uh, they narrowly avoid getting getting destroyed. and uh, And that's our that's our opening moment in this in this episode. So we cut to the Enterprise, and Picard has brought a couple of admirals from the Federation aboard to pitch them on this idea that he has to stop the Klingon civil war from, you know, spreading out into the rest of the sector uh, by ensuring that the Romulans don't get involved. So he's got uh, Fleet Admiral Shanti, I think. Mr. Shanti. <laughs> and the other one's Ja Rule. Uh, I don't know if you come on, Ben. I don't know if you I don't know if you didn't if you looked at the other one, but the other one was clearly Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, yeah, and as you remember, the last interaction Picard had with the Admiralty did not go well. I brought down bigger men than you, Picard. Yeah. So we're in a we're in a conference between them, and Picard's pitching them on an idea. And instinctually, I'm thinking they're not going to go for this. I mean, Admirals hate Picard. How many times has has Picard had positive interactions with the Admiralty? No, and that's right on his yearly review, like. Captain Picard does not have good interactions with leadership. No. It's something to work on in the coming fiscal year. Yeah, and uh, definitely going to be a note on his, uh, on, his, uh, on his employee review that they give him. Um, the admirals agree to this plan, and the plan is this. He's going to put together a, a team of ships that are going to go just kind of hang around in the space in between the Klingon and Romulan empire empires and um and they're going to spread out a net made out of tachyon beams and these tachyon beams will uh, alert them if anybody cloaked tries to go through so they'll be able to prevent the Romulans from providing material support to the Duras side of the of the Klingon civil war I feel like the last time the Federation assembled a fleet of ships uh, with anything involving Picard, they lost 47 of them. 
they they seem fairly willing to give over the fleet to Picard at this point. Yeah, and this is a, I mean, like this is one of those things where there's just not that many ships to go around, right? Like I think they have twenty ships that they can that they can that they can get involved in this, and the ships are not like. They're not even working at hood levels. Like they're kind of <laughs> like these are these are ships that they're like taking off the blocks in in the shop and throwing a couple of bald tires on them and just getting them out in the field as quickly as they can. Some of them don't even have doors at all. <laughs> yeah, and you bring up a great point. Like uh, the hood, notably absent here. Yeah, Soto not around. Mm-hmm. Soto, He's on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah, he knows what side his bread is buttered on. and uh, He's got some science to do. Mm-hmm. The list of ships is, it's, it's a real, like, bad news bears of interstellar uh, <laughs> peace peacekeeping forces kind of situation. Uh, Riker really wants to captain the USS Kelly Reese. <laughs> uh, well, he will get that opportunity in this episode, Adam. The, the plan is they're going to go spread out, keep their eyes on this situation, and, uh, and that will prevent the Romulans from, from supporting the Duras people. And once they get this whole thing deployed, we start to see, like, conniving Romyarlin, uh, like, working, working with her Romulan buddies to figure out how to get through this blockade. Like... It's, Your commitment to Ram Yarlin is is really impressive. This is the hill that I shall die on, Adam. <laughs> I have selected it. It's no, there's nothing special about this hill, but it's mine. Um, I'm going to bury you under a pile of rocks <laughs> so the coyotes don't get you. Thanks, dude. I'm going to turn into a Kirk slurry. <laughs> The vibe that I got here with the uh, Commander Salah and the and the Romulans was a little bit like um, the the evil lady in Power Rangers. Mm. What was her name? I never really watched Power Rangers, but I like I skimmed past it enough to get the like basic structure of of the show, which is I didn't watch it either, but you can tell that the producers of this show did. Yeah. Because they're just, you know, they're like, uh, oh, like, Picard is doing this. We'll do this evil plan and it will foil it. You know, it's, it's a, a lot of playing chess from a distance kind of, kind of shit. And, um, they managed to cartoon up the Romulans a little bit in a way that kneecaps all of the world building they've done up until now. Like, the Romulans were really bad people. Yeah. Before this episode. Yeah, and they and now they just seem kind of clumsy. They seem a little hapless. Like Salah, Salah does not. She seems like pretty on top of it, but she yeah. she doesn't have good help. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so that is going on, and meanwhile, um, you know, Picard is putting this putting this ragtag fleet together, and they're gonna because so many of the ships don't have full crew complements. Picard is sending some of his best and brightest out into the other ships to uh, to become supplementary um, senior officers, and uh, you know Riker gets a command, and Jordy's going to be his first officer, and uh, Data asks like, "Why have I not been assigned to command a ship in the fleet, sir?" And Picard's like, "I believe the starship Sutherland will need a captain." So Data heads over to the Sutherland and meets Lieutenant Commander Hobson, a guy that is even more biased against Data than Pulaski was in episode one of season two. Like, he he basically, like, Data walks on board the, the bridge and takes over the command codes, and Hobson's like, hey, I gotta, I, I gotta be somewhere. I don't trust you. As far as I can throw you, and you are much heavier than a normal man of your size. He plays it real arch. Like, uh, he plays it like every bad guy of a John Candy movie. (laughs) Like, all of his line readings are inflected a little bit sarcastically. Like, even his his taking of an order seems very flip. You heard the captain, everyone. Yeah, this is kind of bad writing, I think. I mean... 
it might be a little bit of bad acting and bad directing, but I think at its core, this is bad writing because this character just like might as well be holding like a, a signpost that just says, I will, I will have a big turnaround in this episode. It's really Mm going to blow you away. (laughs) I can't wait to learn my lesson. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This character will be developed. The conflict here is so direct that you you lose out on the benefit of a more subtle way of telling this story. Like mm-hmm. there are interactions interactions between Hobson and the rest of the bridge crew on the Sutherland that are so minor that I feel like I would have preferred to trade a little bit of the conflict between Hobson and Data with some scenes with Hobson and the rest of the crew, like talking behind his back Mm -hmm. or wondering if they're going to have to relieve him of command. Like, I mean, that's a trade-off that you can do, I think, and they just chose not to. Well, and I think that if if they had gone that direction, it may have established the Sutherland better as a place. Like, all we see of the Sutherland is its bridge, and it's a small, uh, you know, pretty efficiently built little bridge. It's a cool bridge, but it's nothing. There's nothing major about it, and I would love to have like gotten to like get the feel of that place and get the feel of the of the you know the mood of the crew that is suddenly going to be asked to place all of their trust in this like one-off species that they you know don't have any experience with you know it's the phoenix problem all over again yeah and it's another honda del sol type starship too it's uh it's the same exact uh type of why model aren't they the showing phoenix. us more of the del sol <laughs> yeah what are they ashamed of we know that they have a blank gray ready room so they could have shown us that part they could have um yeah and and um yeah i, I mean this this could have been the uh, Crimson Tide episode in space that we've been wanting. Yeah. And and it really isn't. Um you know, they don't they don't talk about um you know, the different the different roles of any of the other people. They don't talk about whether Lippin's honor stallions are from Spain or Portugal. They're not from Portugal, they're from Spain. They don't float the buoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We just cut out about 20 minutes of Denzel Washington impressions. So now we're back. <laughs> so the, the, the Civil War is raging, right, Adam? Yeah, you get a neat exterior of the Klingon homeworld and shit's in flames. Yeah. But, like, people are hanging, right? Like, like yeah. Worf, Worf and Kern go, like, hang out in a bar with some of the guys that they were just in a firefight with outside. Like, and I guess, I guess the idea is that the capital is sort of like... It's sort of like uh, no man's land. Like you can you can go there and hang out when you're taking a break from warring, which which makes it sound like their war is like a little bit more formal and a little less like an actual uh, war, more like a more like a game of chess writ large. You know what I mean? Well, it's well, it's always a game of chess of the Romulans, Ben. I'm not sure if you know that. That's a good point. But, yeah, there are elements of Klingon war that are, like, revolutionary war-type rules where there's the formality of, of, of a break room yeah. that you can go to. Yeah. But in every other respect, it's, it's like real war. Yeah, you get the sense that, like, there might be, like, Klingon nobility up on the hillside watching the battles take place, you know? With a picnic? Yeah. Um, Those knives seem like they'd be great for cutting cheese. Like yeah. a hard cheese, you know? Mm, yeah. Too bad they're just using them for arm wrestling enhancement. Yeah, you get a real fun over-the-top style arm wrestling scene here where uh, where the loser of the arm wrestle, of the arm wrestle, uh, gets the back of their fist stabbed through the tip of a knife. That doesn't look fun. No. And that's got to be that's got to be an interesting proposition for the winner also cuz it's like you want to yeah. win but you don't want to win so much that you also poke all the way through their hand and into your own. Right. There's a guy drinking motor oil in there. <laughs> you know, Worf gets extra leverage by turning his loaf backwards <laughs> before getting in there. Um yeah. I I mean, 
it's a it's a scene where you you really really drives home how different Worf is from the other Klingons. Like he's not having fun. He's not enjoying partying with their enemies. Like it's, he's drinking beverages in up glasses. <laughs> yeah, which just doesn't, doesn't fit in. He's tech, he's having a prunini. <laughs> They're like, this is time for buds and suds, Worf. <laughs> not those girl drinks. Face it, Worf, you're a girl drink drunk. <laughs> the more kids in the hall we can squeeze into this episode, the better. It is a crazy principle with Darth Vader's face. Now, you can't find it within yourself. Just stand up and tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. So, the entrepreneur is has cruised the fleet out toward the edge of Romulan Klingon space, at which point... Tasha Yarlin, what are you calling her? <laughs> Ram Yarlin. At which point, Ram Yarlin gives the signal to decloak her ship in front of the entrepreneur, gets on the FaceTime, and is like, hey, it me. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I this think- is an even bigger cliffhanger than the cliffhanger between the two episodes, I thought. I thought this was a, a case of misplaced hanger. Yeah, off-center hanger. That cloak is going to hang really diagonal. That heavy jacket's going to fall on the ground of the of the closet, mm-hmm. the way it's hung like this. Yeah. And Picard immediately thinks it's it's Tasha Yar over there. Yeah. But it's not. And uh, No, it's not. And he knows this after he beams her over, and they get into the conference room and talk things out. Yeah. So her, her thing is like, you're massing Federation ships on the Romulan border, whether or not you're doing it to achieve peace, we can only interpret this as a as a potentially hostile act. It's sort of like that scene in in Hunt for Red October when the uh, Secretary of Defense is for some reason having a meeting with the uh, ambassador from Russia to the United States, and it's like, does the Secretary of Defense do this, <laughs> or would this be like more of a Secretary of State type of job? But they just didn't want to have two characters, right? Uh, but they're like... It's casting economy. They're like, why have you sortied the entire Russian fleet into the North Atlantic? And don't you realize how inherently dangerous that is? Kind of thing. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. So, uh, so, so Ram Yarlin is there to say, why have you sortied your ragtag Bad News Bears entire fleet into near Romulan space? Don't you realize that, like, if somebody gets an itchy trigger finger, this could lead to war. And uh, and Picard is like, let's let's address that in a second. First of all, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the ears in the room right now. Mm-hmm. And I think Guinan gave him, like, some background on this, right? Like, while they're waiting for Ram Yarlin to beam, beam over, Guinan comes up and she, she's like, hey. How much do you know about... What happened to the last ship called Enterprise? And she she tells uh, she tells him the yesterday yesterday's Enterprise story. She tells it in a way that also places the blame for the entire situation on Picard. It's not that Guinan tells Picard that she's over there because of you, mm-hmm. and that's it. She's like she's over there because of you, and also this whole Klingon civil war is your fault too, as a result. Yeah, it's she puts a lot of it on him. It's true. I kind of wonder if that's because Guinan doesn't like. I don't think she fully exists out of time. You know, like when she in in the yesterday's Enterprise episode, she had like a funny feeling that she shouldn't know Tashiar. Not not that like right. this was all wrong and this is why. It was like I don't know why, but this is wrong. So I I think that maybe like things as definitive as. Picard having having sent Yar to the Enterprise C, uh, you know, stand out to her in her perception of time. But maybe I don't know. This is all headcanon, but maybe maybe that explains why she doesn't like why she sort of like hangs the whole thing around his neck. It's the blackout drunk problem too. Like <laughs> you're being told that you did all this stuff that you can't remember. It's got to be terrifying. Yeah, it's an apparently story. It is. <laughs> <laughs> the card talks to Riker later and he's like, so apparently <laughs> I transported 
Tasha Yar, you remember her? The one who died on the oil slick planet with you yeah. in front of you? <laughs> to the Enterprise C. Yeah. You remember that ship? Yeah. You remember uh, Shooter McGavin and <laughs> this whole gambit where they're going to go back and fight the Romulans to save the Klingons? Even Riker doesn't have an apparently story that fucked up. <laughs> Riker's like, you beat me. Yeah. The second, the second Shooter McGavin came into the mix, <laughs> you were out of my league, buddy. So Rom Yarlin's like, look, I'll tell you my origin story. <laughs> I'll give you a little exposition. Here's what happened. You sent my mom over to the Enterprise C... And uh, you probably thought there were no survivors from that battle, but there were. My mom was one of them. They, uh, they transported her onto a, a Romulan ship, took her back to the Romulan homeworld. She became a concubine for a high-ranking Romulan person. Yeah. Romulan person knocks her up. I'm the product of the knock-up. My mom tried to escape. Yeah. The, the alarms went off. I started crying, and my mom was executed in front of me. <laughs> so that's why I hate all Federation people. Yeah, she's got a major chip on her shoulder about humans and, like, hates the side of her that is human. She is, she is more conflicted about this than, you know, any, any half-breed character on this show and, uh, and has basically made it her personal mission to rise in the ranks of the Romulan military so that she can like exact her revenge on all of humanity. And uh, right now uh, the way she's doing that is rattling her saber and trying to convince Picard to clear out with uh, all his little buddies. She says they have like 24 hours to end this blockade uh, or the Romulans are going to take it as a, as definitively an act of war and, uh, it's going to be their ass. So we cut back to the bar scene and Worf has decided to uh, set down his foo-foo drink, <laughs> pick, up a, pick up a tankard of ale and start arm wrestling. He's palling around with these, these hardcore Klingons when he gets cheap shotted in the back of the head and then dragged back behind the bar where he... <laughs> is greeted by uh, the Dura sisters. Yeah, it's a real, like... I feel like this is, like, a vaudeville skit level how do we get this character into the hands of his enemies situation. Yeah, it's it's some real alien whiplash because in part one, the Romulans seemed very dangerous, and in part two, this this unity between the Klingons and the Romulans just seems cartoonish and, yeah. and ill-conceived. Oh, you're the, you're the guys that go around bopping people on the head? Ooh, yeah, and scary. the Dura sisters' plan is to have Worf knock one of them up. Yeah. They, uh, they've come up with this idea that if they fuck Worf into, into their team, that... Uh, the alliance that he's formed with Gowron will fall apart and Worf can be their proxy leader of the Empire. Surely he'll be tempted by all that power, um, you know, because all they're tempted by is power. So they assume that that's what motivates everybody else, I guess. Ben, this is a perfect time to play an amazing game. <laughs> The game that uh, we've wanted to play for a long time, Ben, it's called Which Dura Sister Would You Rather Fuck? <laughs> Your choices are the fair Lursa and the uh, slightly less fair Bator. Who do you got? Well, Lursa seems like the alpha sister. I'm going to say. But I think Bator seems like she'd be a little bit more fun when it comes to underpants time. Sure, yeah. I would agree with that. So I think I I think I go the same way that they assume Worf will go, and I'll go Bator. Yeah, I mean, they the way that they construct these characters makes 
Lursa, quote-unquote, the smart one. Right. And Vitor, quote-unquote, the sexy one. Right. And I think, I mean, while I am very attracted to intelligence, uh, in this case, I, I must prefer Bator. Yeah, I never really put that together. I didn't understand why every time they come on screen, they play that, I've got the brains, you've got the looks, <laughs> let's make lots of money. I think Bator has more attractive loaf. Yeah, oh, she's got hot Lursa, Lursa's hot got loaf. really long loaf. Yeah, they've got, like, loaf that's on the same pattern, but but it's yeah. cuter on, on Bator. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Good game, Ben. Good game. I think we both won that one, Adam. (laughs) Indeed. So this plan isn't going to work because Worf isn't attracted to either of them. Yeah. And also isn't attracted to power. Like, he's attracted to honor and he considers them to be without honor. And so they don't have anything to offer him. And so, so... he winds up just being kind of a a dumb prisoner. Like he's not really a hostage. He's just been captured by the bad guys, essentially. I never thought about this until now, but Worf is a widower and a divorcee, mm-hmm. isn't he? Yeah. You think he's still scorched from uh, Kalar's death? Oh, like he he doesn't know if he can ever love again, kind of mode. Yeah. Maybe. I mean. He doesn't see every time he looks at a wo- another woman's loaf, he thinks of hers. <laughs> but then his his eyes pan down to those teeth, and he's like, "Nope, not good enough." <laughs> yeah, boy, you really say what you will about Kalar. She had some great teeth, top notch teeth. My, my love is a Pretty much the majority of the action for the rest of the episode is taking place on the bridge of Data's Sutherland. And Data is demonstrating himself to be a pretty mean boss. Like, his employees are kind of shiftless and, you know, don't do not do what he asks the mo- moment he asks, but he also really, like, doesn't have a great way of, like, managing that situation. He's just like, do it! Do what I say! <laughs> The choices he makes on how he models his behavior is really interesting to me. Like when he's uh, when he was in that relationship with with Jenna, like he studied a bunch of of boyfriends to model his behavior off of, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's got Picard as a great model for being a captain. He has the totality of 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 Hollywood films yeah. to model being a captain off of. Right. And he just seems really shiftless and, and uh, like, he just sort of reverts to, to angry. Yeah. I mean, he could, he could model himself off of Ramius. He could bar- model himself off of Mancuso. He has all the captains. Uh, Gene Hackman from Crimson Tide. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that character had a name. <laughs> <laughs> The nameless captain from Crimson Tide. <laughs> he could be. He could even model himself off of Tupolev, and that's actually probably sort of who he does model himself off of, right? Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's yeah. really fair. Tupolev only has his room in his heart for himself. It's kind of also interesting because Data has a hard time dropping his role as chief of ops. Yeah, uh, because he he'll he'll be like sitting in the captain's chair, and then he'll get an idea, and he'll have to like run across the bridge to another computer and do some ops stuff. Yeah, and then like run back to the captain's chair and give a command based on what he learned over there. And that's like not the most efficient thing, but we have to just give that the benefit of the doubt because they're so short-staffed on this ship. But um, so, so the deal is yeah. they've got this network of ships. They've erected a sort of cat's cradle threads of tachyon beams amongst each other Mm -hmm. and all of the ships are spread out wide so that if a romulan ship trips one of these wires uh the jig is up right and picard is trying to coax the romulans through by by making a nice juicy hole that uh that he's going to swoop into and and catch him red-handed 
but it's a different kind of space butthole Ben. yeah it's a it, it's like a front butt <laughs> <laughs> and so the romulans see this hole on their end we do a lot of like uh, shot, reverse shot, cut, reverse cut, like between the Federation side and the Romulan side. So we see this plan begin from the Federation side. Then we cut to uh, we cut to the Romulan side, and they're like, "This is our chance. Mm-hmm. There's a hole opening up in the cat's cradle. This Let's is... run our convoy through." Yeah, and Romular is like, "Not so fast. That is that has all the earmarks of a trap. So instead, what we're going to do is put out a big tachyon pulse." at that ship that the android's the captain of, and they won't know uh, they won't know what's going on with tachyons at all in that area, and we can fly right through without being positively detected. So they're putting this plan into effect, and uh, because the, the grid is being compromised, Picard orders the whole fleet to pull back. They're going to go set it up like further toward the Klingon Empire and try again. And Data brazenly ignores that order and also declines to transmit any explanation of why he is ignoring that order, even though it really wouldn't have taken any extra time. Denzel Washington's like, you got to float the buoy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, um, and his racist first officer is real freaked out by this whole situation. Uh, For a good reason. Yeah, because... Data is acting totally unilaterally, and everybody knows it. I'm on Hobson's side on this. Yeah, but what he winds up doing is figuring out a way to detect the Romulans in the tachyon pulse that they sent out, and he uh, shoots some low-yield torpedoes at the Romulan ships. It, It causes their cloaks to fail momentarily and proves that the Romulans are trying to help the Duras side and uh, that ruins the day for the Romulans they're gonna you know turn coat and come back to fight again another time and shows shows all the Klingons like what Duras is really all about and it also leaves Duras high and dry with no additional supplies from the Romulans Jake is naturally pretty upset at this development. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's almost upset enough to to uh, steal a shuttlecraft. Like that's that's the level of uh, anger that we're that we're seeing here. That's really his only way out here. So we go back to uh, the Klingon Great Hall, and Ben, I don't know if you noticed this. There are a big pair of googly eyes in the Great Hall that once you see them, you can't unsee them. Hmm. Duras is in there, ready to have his coat ceremony. Mm-hmm. Finally, they wheel in Klingon Jake. Uh, they sort of prep him for what everyone agrees is going to be capital punishment, right? Yeah, like because like the like Duras gonna... sisters have have skipped town. They they uh, yeah they beamed out and left left him holding the bag. So he's going to have to answer for the whole Duras family's bullshit in this in this little incident, and. Uh, it is really fucked up how they leave him back there, which, which confirms that his DNA was modified and he was not, in fact, yeah. uh, a member of the family, right? Because if he actually was a member of the family, they would have taken him, too. Well, they never address that, do they? No, they don't. I, but, I, but this evidence like He must is the be like a Romulan clone or something, right? Yeah. I mean, and as shitty as... as Klingon Jake was, I do feel some empathy for him. It sucks to be left behind like that. Yeah, he got burned pretty bad. (laughs) Those big sisters did not have his back the way he thought they did. There's no pulling up the shuttle before it hits the atmosphere for Klingon Jake. No. Uh, He's basically going to auger this one in. Yeah. So they drag him out into the foyer uh, for his execution. Yep. Gowron says, uh, I'm not going to kill this guy. I'm going to give him as a gift to Worf because this is really a celebration of him getting back his honor also. I'm getting this big coat. Worf's getting his honor back. Yeah. It's a celebration uh, on a number of levels here. So he hands one of those clicky knives to Worf and he's like, go to work. Field strip this kid. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see what he looks like on the inside. And uh, this is a very human moment for Worf because... Rather than uh, than stick the kid like a pig, 
Worf drops the knife on the on the ground, and Garon's like, "All right, Kern, you kill the kid." And Worf is like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> no! You gave me his life, and I have spared it." I wish that they had done the like discommendation thing to the kid, though. You know, like everybody crossed their arm and turned their back at him. Yeah, because like that's that-, that should be like where Duras is at in in the scheme of Klingon politics now, right? It would have been more sad. I mean. God, that's really eye for an eye shit, right? Like, would it have been as satisfying to see the level of dishonor that Worf had to endure given to someone else? Well, it's also it's only fair. It's also more complicated, right? Because like, like the kid was definitely not pulling the strings and shouldn't bear all of the dishonor, but he would have to. And that's sort of like exactly the hand that Worf got dealt. So Worf would have to have some feelings about that, right? Like, this doesn't really feel right to be like burning this kid this bad the kid got lee harvey oswalded <laughs> he's just a patsy yeah and that's really the end of the episode that's the button yeah i think Worf like asks if he can come back to starfleet and and that's it it's got to feel weird you go back up to the ship back to your quarters you take off all those stinky klingon clothes do you think his quarters got cleaned out already or do you think they like just in case, didn't clean him out. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> what if? How would you like if, to get Worf's quarters after he's left them? What if because probably a lot of weird stains on the carpet. What if because he left, they like moved the O'Briens up up a level? You know, <laughs> they got they got a nice nice new digs, a little bit bigger than the old place. And Worf comes back, and they're they're in this awkward position of like, do we ask the O'Briens to move back out, or does Worf just get a shittier apartment now? O'Brien's like, this new bathroom is great. I've really tried, and I can't plug up this toilet. <laughs> did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I did. It's got a satisfying conclusion to you. It's a um, it's a very different episode than the one that that it is the conclusion of. Like, almost couldn't be more different. But um, I found myself not caring if real war popped off yeah and i thought i also think it's really interesting i mean we end the episode with this new villain right this this rami arlen character is in the wind and we know that she's gonna come back but i feel like a modern tv show does not end a two episode arc with everything being as neatly tied up as this like, yeah. This definitely feels like a uh, a move that predates binge watching of television. It's like a two liter bottle episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I wish I liked it more, but that's wrong. I wish it was a better episode. Yeah. It uh, it's untidy because it leaves so many loose threads out there, and really, two of the threads end up destroying the ship later. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they could never know how dangerous the Dura sisters were at this moment. Totally. The Dura sisters who are as cartoonish as they get. Yeah, they, they come back in a big way. Yeah. Uh, hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? You want to do an ad? <laughs> yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Dan, and it is to Eric, a.k.a. the W stands for Will Coxon. It goes like this. I'm so grateful that you introduced me to this hilarious podcast. I love it. Aww. 2016 so often felt like a swift kick to the moose knuckle. <laughs> The show, however, was a constant delight. Let's rock 2017 like Jim Shimoda at a Jenga tournament. Thanks for being a lifelong friend. Fancy meeting you out here in the desert. Hello, Clockface. <laughs> what a nice message, Dan. Is Will Coxon some kind of uh, person that calls out rowing rhythm on a boat? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, I, I put that together. Hmm. I'm one of your 2%. <laughs> it's not spelled the same, Adam, but uh, looks looks the same. Uh, wow. Uh, 
that uh, that's another another one of those P1s that has lots of lots of in jokes that I don't fully understand, but I really appreciate how inside they are. One of my main worries about our program at this point is how impenetrably weird it must sound to a new listener that's just starting now. You know. One of the things I'm never worried about is how appreciative you are about how far inside something is. <laughs> yeah, I love it when something gets real deep. <laughs> uh, Adam, we have another Priority One message, and it's from David and Laura, and it's to Adam and Ben. Hey, that's us. <laughs> the sound effects you sprinkle throughout the show are lots of fun. Our favorite is the machine gun photon torpedoes drop. That's a great job. One of the best drops. As a late Christmas present to my friends who are also fanatical viewers, we'd love it if you would take the sound effects from your show, all of them, everywhere, and fire a barrage of drops, maximum yield, full spread. Oh, this is going to be fun, Adam. (laughs) Ben, to do this, we're going to have to turn our keys at the same time. Are you ready? (laughs) Uh, I thought that you took both of the keys when you killed the political... Officer. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and go ahead and turn him, Adam. I trust you. If you want. Oh, that, that was very was, satisfying. That delivered on a lot of levels. <laughs> Hopefully, it blew out some speakers. <laughs> well, if you would like to blow out some speakers uh, with a custom. Priority one message, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal, 200 for a commercial. Helps us keep the lights on around here. Thanks to everyone who does it. Hey, Ben. What is that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I did. Um, <laughs> my drunk Shimoda is, um, is very late in the episode. So the Dura sisters have bounced... Uh, Salah and all the other Romulans have bounced, and there is one Romulan still hanging out in the Duras house, like keeping Worf prisoner or whatever. (laughs) The fuck did that guy do to just get left high and dry on Kronos? (laughs) We never get his story. Yeah, that poor guy. He just totally got ditched out on. They didn't beam him up or anything. You'd think that the Dura sisters would have taken them along with him when they when they beam out, right? I feel like the reputation of the Dura sisters has got to be such that why would you ever work with them? Yeah. If they will just cut you loose at any moment, <laughs> it's pretty fucked. Pretty fucked, man. Uh, how about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? I'm going to give it to Whiny Hobson of the Sutherland. <laughs> yeah. Who... It's- should have Denzel Washington Data like he should have been relieved of duty like and instead Data threatens to relieve him of duty (laughs) he got happens a a lot in this universe I think he got uh, the duty tables were turned on him yeah the duty relieving tables (laughs) and I just don't think Hobson's fit for for command in the future if this is how he handles this sort of bridge environment. Yeah, Data's the one that turns himself in for for disciplinary action at the end, and I feel like maybe it should have been Hobson doing that. Data correctly does that because he acted in the wrong, but Hobson also needs to share some blame here. But the thing is, if Hobson had been watching Star Trek The Next Generation, then he would know that no one relieves Picard of duty either. So maybe well, that's just not a thing. I th- I, we don't know if the, the Sutherland has a clip show machine, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That That's going to be installed on Tuesday. <laughs> well, isn't this place just a geographical oddity? Two weeks from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, whiny Hobson. Drunk Shimoda. Darmok, Angelad, and Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. 
And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode? Hmm, what is it? It's season five, episode two, Darmok. The crew is rendered helpless when Picard is kidnapped and forced to go to war with an alien captain. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Who could forget this... the enemy mine of Star Trek The Next Generation episodes? <laughs> this is an episode that we've been looking forward ba- to basically from the beginning. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, it's like, it's like the episode, right? It's like the episode that our podcast exists to riff on. It's one of the capital T-H-E episodes yeah. of the series. Totally. It's very divisive. I think our, uh, our friend Sarus Farvar shared like a big argument thread on Ars Technica one time of two people arguing whether Darmok is worth the paper it's printed on. I've always had the fantasy of doing this episode in Darmok language. Yeah. And we've talked about that from the start. But the trouble is... That's madness. We don't have time to do that because you've been so sick. We haven't been able to record a number of episodes to give us the time to allow us to work an episode like that. Yeah. And the one way that we could give ourselves time to do that kind of episode, Ben, 
is to veto the episode. <laughs> and so I'm thinking of instead of vetoing the episode uh, for reasons of its ill quality or its stupidity, like, why not veto the episode to give us time to do it right? I see, I see your logic, Adam, but I think that we're going to do a great Darmok episode and we're going to do it. We're going to do it in the right at the right time and for the right reasons. Like we're going to we're going to do it in the right order. Season 5 isn't going to jump over episode 2. I think I think it's going to be great whether or not we do it in all metaphorical language. And I think that I believe in us, Adam. What I'm trying to say is I believe in us. And I don't think that you need to get an itchy veto finger just because I got a debilitating illness. I really like the idea of vetoing this episode, and then we make it a special episode. We we make it one of our uh, our special viewer contribution eps. Oh, that's that's cruel. Yeah, that's not this, nice. We we put this show out for free. The people that choose to support it, we really appreciate. But we don't want to make it a compromised experience just just because some people support and some people don't. All right, I'm putting my veto back in my pocket. You've convinced <sighs> me. I don't believe in paywalls, Adam. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this paywall. <laughs> uh, got a nice Ronald Reagan over there. How come you, you don't pull out the Reagan impression that often? Because it's awful. <laughs> that hasn't stopped us with any of the other impressions on the show. <laughs> ben, you know what our viewers pull out all the time? Is there wallets to help support the production of our show? People yeah. go to MaximumFun.org slash donate, and they support yeah. our show on a monthly basis. It really helps us continue this ill-conceived project of ours. It's a, uh, it's a respectful relationship that we have with them. We're not trying to extort money out of them by having key parts of the series be hidden from, from view unless you're paying us money. And we don't want to divide our viewership into no. into the haves into, and the have-nots. Yeah, you know what? That's garbage, and I regret even even proposing that idea. That's terrible. It'd be terrible. That's a real the, Trump's America idea right there. It's yeah. already it's already changing me, Ben. Yeah, you're gonna go take a shit on your golden toilet later, and feel some real regret. Mm. <laughs> that, the uh, only, that seat's always cold. Yeah, frigid. <laughs> um, well, the contributions are much appreciated, as are people who go and buy a T-shirt, people who tweet about us or write Facebook posts about us or go to the, the subreddit. Um, those are all great places to chat about the show and also tell people why you like it because that's how we grow our audience. Uh, we also grow our audience through iTunes reviews. If you like the show go go there and leave us a nice one and uh that helps raise our profile as well we should thank dark materia for our theme music and adam ragusia for all of our other music and with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek the next generation and an episode of the greatest generation that is on the ocean and at tanagra Prove to be a much more... You alright? Oh. Have you ever been shocked by your headphones? No. Oh, mine just did. Yikes. What the fuck is that about? Walking around on that carpet in little socks, maybe? Oh, yeah, that was it. That was it. Gotta, oh, shit. Gotta be careful. Yeah. Gotta get, gotta get some, uh, some rubber-soled socks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a first, folks. We've got... Piles of scarves and Adam is being killed by his podcasting rig <laughs> live here on air. It's so weird. Like, 
I I set up my computer in this kiddie pool full of water, <laughs> and this is the first time that that's ever happened. Yeah, the computer, your toaster, your margarita machine, my Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.